1: Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got an actual old friend of mine, actually, and I've known her for, oh, it must be a good decade or so now, mustn't it, Annette?
2: Exactly. Yeah, probably 10 or 15, even, I think, Lynn.
1: Yeah. So, Annette is an old friend of mine. Her name's Annette Greenwood. She's a coach and author and she's got such valuable wise insights that she can share around relationships because she has been somebody that has actually been through the mill so could you first off Annette, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your own history regarding your relationships past?
2: So um, I got married at the tender age <clears throat> excuse me of 17 the very first, fi- first time round. I've been with my my current partner, first of all, for 38 years. We met 38 years ago last week. Um, and so it seems a lifetime of wailing from what happened in my first marriage. Um, at 17, you think it's a fashionable thing, don't you? You think it's the best thing since sliced bread. And um, I was no different to probably any other young woman of that age. And I met and married somebody who I thought was going to look after me. I guess I was looking for a bit of a protector at that age and um, he didn't protect me, he protected himself and it wasn't until I married him till he started to, um, to hit me. So during the, the courtship as it was called back in the day there were no signs that he was going to be violent sadly. And how long were you him for before you actually got married? Well I pro- probably in, in the terms of I would say a year. And that's too short, really, I guess, you know, on reflection, but 12 months. But I would have expected him to have displayed something within that 12 month period, but he didn't. He kept it really well hidden. And it was a real shock. The first time he ever hit me.
1: And how soon into the marriage did that sort of manifest or present itself?
2: It was a matter of um, weeks, to be fair. Um, It wasn't. It was it was after an alcohol as well um he liked to bevy and um he came in one night and there was something not quite right with the the meal i'd prepared and he threw he threw the plate with the food on it from one end of the room to the next and i, I kind of i was quite exasperated to be honest that i'd seen this i'd never seen anything like it you know i'd not been brought up my mum and dad argued but there was never any violence or anything and i um, I said something to him about it. And the next thing I was, you know, I was kind of reeling across the room. And, um, that, that was my first experience of it. And do you remember that film Lynn educating Rita? Yes. Yeah. If you've never seen it or any of your listeners might have seen it where she wants to, she wants to better herself in life. Doesn't she? And that was me, even at that young age, I wanted to better myself. And in the film, he wants a baby, does the husband, and my husband wanted a baby. So I did exactly what she did. I had to hide my birth pills under the stair carpet so I didn't know they were there because his family was saying there was something wrong with me because we'd been married six months and I hadn't already had a baby. I hadn't already conceived. And I was thinking, this is the last thing I want. I don't want a baby at 17. And I could just see it gradually, my, my whole a life as it had been, kind of slipping away from me. And each time there was something wrong in the relationship or a problem, he just resorted to violence every time. And was it always on the back of drink,
1: or you know, was that sort of the 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 the, the I suppose prerequisite, or did
2: it happen sometimes when it was sober? When he was sober as well, I mean, it was always worse if he'd been drinking, um, and I can tell you the catalyst of my leaving him in in a short while, but certainly it didn't take much. Um, I found he had quite a short fuse, and I also found out that his mother had been living in a domestic violent relationship with his father and, and she would be on the receiving end of, of violence quite a lot. So he'd been brought up with that. Now, I'm not, I'm not kind of condoning what he did, but being brought up with that, he thought it was normal, but it was down to me to actually show him that it wasn't normal and it wasn't an acceptable way to be in a relationship. And um, this went on for between what, probably three to five years. And then um, there were two occasions that really sort of stick out for me. One was my, my uncle who lived in Canada at the time and bought me a beautiful sort of dinner set as a, as a wedding present. And I had it on a, like a shelf in the kitchen. And he came in one night and because things weren't the way he wanted, he just got a hammer and he started to hit this shelf, this wooden pine shelf, and he hit it. And every time he hit it, one of those beautiful dishes... Fell off and smashed, and each time it happened, you know, each time one of these dishes fell off, I was getting more and more upset. And I remember, I remember picking a pan up to defend myself and whacking him round the head with his pan. It was like something out of a carry-on film, really. Um, but I knew if I didn't defend myself, I was going to be right on the right on the bottom end of this. And I got I got a proper walloping. And I used to go to the doctors and tell the doctors that I'd got a headache and things like that. But I think the doctor knew that there was there was something not right. But back then, Lynn, there was no support for women in relationships like this. Nothing.
0: Nothing.
1: No, no I can, I, yeah, I can I can well imagine. So, were there any sort of
2: physical
1: um, injuries that, that you got that that were visible to your friends and family?
2: Yeah, I get um, bruising on my arms, really. And when I used to go to the doctors and he'd say, Oh, let me look at those bruises, what have you done? And I said, oh, I was just, I was up a ladder decorating and I, I fell. Um, things like that. And I never really told my parents uh, about it because I didn't want them to know what was going on, but I told them that I wasn't happy. And I used to leave him quite frequently when he'd had a, a like an outburst, and I'd leave him then. I'd go back to my parents for a while and then he would um, say, oh, look, I'm I'm gonna change, I'm not gonna do it again. And then you believe them and then you go back again. And then within a few short weeks, it's just a little bit longer than it was the last time. So rather than it be three weeks back into the relationship, it hit me, the next time it'd be five or six weeks. Um, So it, it always kind of delayed it for that little bit longer. And yeah, I had bruises on the back of my, um, sorry, on my arms. I had some bruising on my face and then on the back of my head, um, he hit me in there and I ended up with this great big lump on the back of my head. But I guess knowing now in in hindsight, it it must have affected my mental health as well. And my my self-esteem was completely rock bottom. There's just no two ways about that. I just thought that's what, maybe I deserve this in some way, which is what a lot of women in that situation feel when actually nothing could have been further from the truth.
1: Yeah, it's an unfortunate state of affairs as well because sometimes women that are in that situation, I think, tend to feel they can't confide in anybody because of their own sense of guilt and shame around it, you know, when it's not their guilt and shame to own, is it? It's the perpetrator's.
2: Absolutely. And you always think that when they tell you they're going to um, make some changes, you always think, well, maybe this time they will, maybe this time they will. And then um, he, on this particular occasion, he'd been out with his friends into a nightclub um, in town in York at the time, which is where we were living. Uh, He came home probably about two or three in the morning and he got into bed. And he, he was obviously been drinking and stuff. And then he said, oh, I've had a great night at the nightclub. All these women have been dancing around me. Oh, and I've done this and I've done that. Um, and something within me just snapped at that time. And I just sat up in bed and screamed something at him. And I'm bearing in mind, I'm I'm still, you know, I'm only still young at, the, at this point. And he, he got up from the bed where he was laid and he sat on top of me so that I couldn't move. And he sort of, put his knees on both my arms really so I wasn't able to do anything and he just used me as a punch bag basically he just kept hitting me from you know my head from one side of the pillar was bouncing from one side to the other and he just kept doing that and just kept hitting me and hitting me um god knows how I didn't become unconscious and I somehow managed to to break free and wriggle off him um and there was um a clock at the side of the bed you know the old-fashioned alarm clock with the great big bells on it and I managed to pick that up and whack him on the shoulder to sort of distract him and I grabbed my uh, I grabbed my, my dressing gown or something off the back of the door and I ran down the stairs and I ran out into the street in my bare feet and, and I just ran round to my parents house they only lived sort of, five or ten minutes away um and I banged on the door there and my mother opened the door and she went, my God, what the hell's going on? Um, and I just ran into the house and I was just shaking, Lynn. I was obviously in shock, but I was just shaking and I was sat on the sofa shaking and she woke my dad up and they took me to the local hospital. And that that really was the, the start of the, the recovery, if you like, for me as a woman in domestic violence, how once I'd got to the hospital and they wanted to know what had gone on and, I said the usual kind of stuff to start with. Back a day, my mother, she was so upset um, in, the, in the reception area. And I was laid on this, um, on the trolley kind of thing, waiting for the doctor to come and see me. They wanted to X ray me to make sure there was no broken bones or anything. And this young male nurse walked up to me and whispered in my ear and he said, Leave him. He's not worth it. And he knew, Lynn, he knew there was something going on. He knew that. I was in, I was in the wrong relationship and there was something with within him, what he'd said, whether it was about timing or synchronicities or whatever you want to call it, but he, that sort of stayed with me and I went back home that the following day after being overnight in hospital and I went and I just packed a backpack and I walked out and I never went back.
1: What happened within the situation regarding him did he did you report any assault i mean was he arrested for anything or you know was it just literally a parting of ways it
2: was um the the police had been called a couple of times because um the next door neighbor had heard me screaming and you know they banged on the door and stuff like that and he'd answered the door and he'd said, you know, we've, we've got reports of a disturbance. And he'd said, well, no, she's here, she's fine. And of course I didn't say anything. I was probably too frightened to. And um, this happened a couple of times, but then after I'd left him and my resolve was very strong not to go back. I think that was probably the first time I'd taken a good hard look at myself and thought, God, what am I doing? Where am I going? I'm an absolute mess. I'm I'm 22 years old, and I'm or 21, and I'm in a relationship that um, where I'm just being treated like a, a punch bag. So um, I vowed I wasn't going to go back this time, and no matter what he did, no matter how many cards or flowers or anything he sent, I didn't go back. Now at that time, I didn't really know much about karma and things like that, Lynn, but. Um, about two or three months after, I got a phone call from um, the local hospital and they said, oh, is this um, Annette? Whatever my surname was at the time. I won't mention it on air in case anybody knows him. Um, And I said, yes, it is. Well, um, your husband's in the psychiatric ward in the local hospital. I said, oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. What's the problem? Well, we understand that you've left him and you won't go back. And I said that's correct. And they said, well, we'd like you to reconsider because he's heavily sedated and he's talking about committing suicide. And I said, well, I'm I'm really sorry, but that's not my problem. I you have no idea what I, what I've been through over the last five years, and for you to be ringing me and actually believing what he's saying without hearing my side of it. And she said, oh well, you know, we'd like you to reconsider. Will you at least come and visit? So. Um, put the phone down and my brother who was alive at the time I mentioned it to him and he went to the hospital on my behalf and he went to see my ex-husband and he told my ex-husband that in no uncertain terms was I ever going to be going back to him and that if he wanted to try and blackmail me and carry out this threat of committing suicide he best got on with it because I wasn't going anywhere back he then went to the the nurses and said to the nurses you know you have no right to ring my sister and tell her that she must go back into a relationship that was unsafe and that nearly killed her and I then set about divorce proceedings um, and divorced him the divorce took about a year I think or something like that year about year and a half but even in that year he still tried to get me back he still tried to get me back to go back into the relationship but by then I'd grown so far apart and was starting to align with my own true self that there was no there was never going to be any going back as far as I was concerned never and he ended up marrying my uh the girl that I used to sit next to at school which was really spooky um and setting his own business up and having a family and and children everything with her um and I've never seen him from that day to this ever in all these years.
1: Just makes you wonder though, whether she went through the same as you or whether he was able to do some healing of his own and resolve some of that, you know, from his own childhood, obviously what he witnessed, behaviours.
2: Yeah, and I did hear um, my dad actually bumped into him probably about, maybe about 10 years ago. And my dad said he was still talking about you, even though, you know, he was married with grown up children um, in a way that my dad said, I just I just couldn't believe he was still talking about, you know, as though you were still with him. He said, and I said to him, you know, you caused my daughter untold pain. And, you know, if I would have known what was going on, I'd have had my daughter out of there sooner. And he said yes I, I did make mistakes he said but um i've turned my life around he ended up being a, a football coach i believe for young young people who've been going through drug and alcohol problems themselves now if he's if he's grown up and he's turned his life around as a result, well i'm really happy for him and i wish him well i've gone past the point of where i hated him for what he'd done to me and. I'd be lying if I sat here and said it was all sweetness and light after I left him because I had to go through my own healing. It wasn't until some years later that I was actually able to forgive him, and I mean forgive him properly, Mm. where I felt no ill will or any malice towards him, Lynn. The thing is that you can forgive the person. You don't have to forgive the behaviours, but you can
1: forgive the person, can't you? Because they know no better. Let's be honest, if that's what he witnessed as being the norm in his own you know, environment as a child growing up, you know,
2: that's what he learned, isn't it? Absolutely. And um, I see it time and time again now, you know, through sort of all those years have gone by and people have worked in my own coaching work and I see it. Yeah. And I still see it where that those learnt behaviours have sadly ruined and, and caused so much hurt and pain where men or women have seen things going on in the, in the parents' relationships and thought it was okay to be like that. And it takes somebody like myself or maybe you or, or somebody else who, who has a certain something and says, no, this isn't right, this is not the way you behave, this is not acceptable. And while ever I'm prepared to allow it to go on, it will go on. And if I have stayed in that relationship, I have no doubt, I probably wouldn't still be here now, Lynn, no doubt at all it's about isn't it like you
1: say you're having those boundaries and coming to a point where you know what this isn't acceptable um and by me forgiving or uh, allowing that behavior to continue even though he you know he's he's obviously broke the promise of not doing it again in some ways you actually condone that behavior don't you in the relationship
2: if uh, you stay in it you do, when you don't realise that at the time, do you? You don't realise that um, you are condoning it because you've, you're so wrapped up in this thing about believing because you so want to believe that they're, they are going to change this time and they really mean it. And, you know, he's brought me these flowers and uh, he, he said he's sorry and he won't do it again. And it's because he's had a bad day at work. And you look for all those excuses And you hang on to those and believe those and just cloud your own judgment, because actually you are making it worse. And and you are the one that needs to take responsibility for your own life. Um, Pull on your big girl pants and and start to realize that nobody else is going to do it and he isn't going to change. The person that really needs to change is you or, or me in that case
1: yeah most certainly i agree with that and unfortunately in those days i can remember you know because i was in the, i joined the police force in the late 70s early 80s i was serving and in those days even the police didn't take domestic violence seriously you know unless the woman was prepared to make a complaint and even if she was brave enough to make a complaint Um, She usually retracted it. And that was the end of the matter. It wasn't sort of like it is today, where they take it a bit more seriously. And the woman doesn't actually need to make a complaint The 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 police will, you know, actually prosecute just on the injuries they see in terms of the assault. uh, And she doesn't even need to make a statement today. But in those days, that wasn't the case, was it?
2: No, and um, I think the only thing around back in the day was women's aid or something like that. There wasn't, um, you know, the organisations and groups that are around now. And certainly you're right, the police then, it was very much a, a closed door thing, wasn't it? If you weren't prepared to to say something, they just used to wash their hands and say, well, it's domestic, you know, it's a domestic, just kind of lead them to get on with it. But there's so much more support now within the police, which is so, so much better um, and women are able to step up, they, and, and get out of these relationships with the right support, and sometimes in really dire situations and um relationships that are so harmful and destructive, destructive, sorry, and toxic and dangerous that they're faithful to leave. But now they've got plans in place to um to help women escape that. And, and quite right as well, Lynn. It's uh, it almost sounds like we're talking about something from you know, a hundred million years ago, because it, it's not that far long ago, is it, that this was still going on and the police weren't involved and weren't able, they didn't have the powers or they didn't, it wasn't on their agenda to um, to help women in domestic violent relationships and men now, as, as we know, it, it happens in both relationships. Definitely,
1: and like you say, there wasn't, this, the, I suppose, the cooperation between the
2: multi-agencies like there is today either. Oh, no, no, I mean, I have worked on cases with women who've been in these kind of relationships and there's about five or six different agencies involved all working together towards the same common goal to get that woman out of, um, out of a relationship and into safety. I worked with on one um, a few years ago when I was doing some coaching work in the probation service at the time and, and the prison service. And this woman had been in this relationship for years and years, and I could just see it in her. I could see myself in her. And I always used to find that, Lynn. I would see when I was working with women, I'd see me in them. There was something about them that resonated somewhere I'd been in my life. And this woman had been in this relationship and forever. He was always gonna say he was gonna change and he was just hitting her and then he'd be doing drugs and he'd be breaking and entering and she'd be back in this vicious circle again. She would work with me for a few months and she'd get really back on track. And then next time I'd see her, she'd have a black eye. And it was just all the time going backwards and forwards. And then the really sort of catalyst for her was when um, she she got pregnant to him and um, they had this baby. And the baby had only been born a short time, sadly, and social services were called in because the neighbours had heard glass and they'd been fighting and the baby was on the floor and this baby was only a few weeks old. So the baby had to be taken into care. Um, And that was the thing that actually shook her head and said, I can't do this anymore. She wanted to get out of it. And he said, "You you know, you're not leaving me and all those old threats. So all the agencies myself included at the time, pulled together to get her out of this relationship and she did, she got out of it, she moved area and she started her life over again and she actually um, met with her family who she'd not seen for years and years but sadly that baby was kept in care and, and adopted because she couldn't be trusted to have the baby back and it was so sad to see it, so sad but in a way having that baby changed a life around. And thankfully the baby's in, you know, it's in a lovely home now and probably about five years old, but it was just sad to see it, Lynn, and so sad that I could see it in her, what had been happening to me. And I was powerless to do anything because I knew it had to come from her. But the agency, the multi-agency approach, is so good and so empowering if you get the right people to help. Definitely. So
1: what do you think was it for you, you know, in terms of... Um, I suppose one the one thing that sort of I suppose allowed you to sort of stay in a, that toxic environment. What what was it that sort of kept you there initially, and then what was it that was a mindset shift that that created the leverage to
2: say no, this is it, I'm, I'm, I've had enough. Because I thought I thought, and this is the difference. I thought I loved him, um, and I thought that. Um, it was one of those things, you know, when you married, marriages for life and all that. That was a really old-fashioned, probably, belief that I'd been stuck with from, from my own parents and other people's parents that had gone to school with, that, you know, marriage is for life. Um, well, and you you're in and you've, you've made your bed and all that. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, God, you know, I've got to try and make this work. And um, actually, I was just a kid, wasn't I, at 17? I was a kid who... Knew no better, um, and thought it was probably a good thing, and it was a grown-up thing to do was to get married. I, what the hell was I doing? You know, I needed to give my brains a shake, really. But hindsight is a wonderful thing, and it—the more I, the more I was getting hit, and the more that I was losing more of my self-respect and more of me, if you like—that was the thing that the mindset change was actually being in that hospital, seeing myself in that position, the nurse saying to me, leave him, he's not, you know, you're worth better. And it was that you're worth better, must have just stuck somewhere with me. And the, the mindset shift was, I am worth better than this, because five years of this, can I do another five? No, I'm going to be 25, 26. It was still relatively young, um, And even then I was thinking, well, there's got to be somebody else out there who will love me for who I am. But i would made the mistake, as I was saying to you earlier, in that many, many women make is I was looking for somebody else to love me. I was looking for that that confirmation from somebody else that they could love me for who I was. But actually, I hadn't learned to love myself enough. And I was never going to meet my prince after kissing all these frogs until I'd learned to love myself first and foremost and align with who I was and attract the right person into my life
1: yeah because I think quite often we think you know that happiness lies externally don't we we put that pressure Mm -hmm. on somebody else be our partner our family our friends you know to to be you know we sort of make them responsible for our own happiness when really the focus needs to come from within doesn't it and first and foremost we need to be happy and create that happiness within ourselves.
2: Yeah, and you don't always know how to do that, do you, Lynn? It's, um, it's You know that something needs to change, but you, you feel powerless to change it because you don't know how it has to change. And I remember you know, going from one relationship to the next. I don't mean it was like I had a different boyfriend or a different partner every week, but each relationship I had, there was something within that relationship about my ex-partner So it was whether they were lying to me, whether they were sleeping with somebody else at the same time and never told me or whether they were um, taking, you know, wanting me to lend them money. All things that had been in that previous relationship, but they were only displaying one particular behavior of the past relationship. And I just kept thinking, oh God, you know, next time when I meet somebody, they're gonna be, they're going to be different. They they'll be that change because they'll be different, not realizing all the time that it was me who had to do the changing and not them. So it was all it was always about me and what I had to do to change myself, to be happy in my own skin, to accept the woman that I was, and that I wanted to find my own voice and and share it in the world. Um, and I had to do that first before I would meet somebody who was actually that I believed to be worthy of me. Now, not the other way
1: around. Exactly. You know, it's 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 looking at yourself and thinking, you know, what I'm I'm fabulous. I'm super. I'm super happy being single. I haven't got a problem. You know, with that. Um, uh idea of knowing that i'm I'm worthy and deserving of a phenomenal relationship and like you say putting yourself in the position of confidence of knowing that they need to show that they're worthy of me not the other way around
2: 100 percent, and that I, i i totally align with what you're saying lynn there that i don't need to be in a relationship to make me whole to make me complete i don't need to have a man in my life i don't need to um from a, a clinging perspective or a needy sort of woman perspective i don't need to have that to make me the person that i am now i may want to be in a relationship but that relationship has to meet me on my terms now and we have to be aligned in, in an equal relationship and not where one's got more power than the other or you know or one's calling all the shots it has to be a relationship that's equal for it to work for me now, and that I couldn't. I'm not prepared to compromise on that. It's about setting your own standards and
1: boundaries, isn't it? So, what, what, what? You know, before we wrap up the episode, and what, what advice would you give to a woman that's probably listening to this podcast that knows that they are in a toxic or domestic violence situation? What,
2: what would be your words of wisdom? I would say first of all first of all recognize that you are in a toxic relationship it's okay you haven't done anything wrong it's not your fault that's the first thing you know self-blame is never going to get you anywhere and the second thing is i would reach out i would reach out to um, the many organizations that there are out there now that can help you and even if you've got a trusted family member or a friend or if you haven't, you know, you can speak, even if you speak to somebody at the Samaritans or a helpline or something, or there's people like you, yourself and Melin who help women move on from toxic relationships, but if you're not in a place where you're ready for that, don't be afraid to use what's available, you know, go online, there are organisations out there that will help you, but first and foremost, trust me, you are not, a bad person and you don't deserve this. You deserve so much better and a life that's full of love um, and a rich relationship just for the special you that you are.
1: Absolutely. so thank you so much for sharing your personal story around that and I'm sure it's going to be very powerful for the audience members to listen to, especially those that are probably in a position where they can resonate exactly with where you were in the past domestic violence situation. It's my huge pleasure, Lynn. Always happy. And on that note, what, what would be your best contact, Annette, for any of our audience members that would like to get in touch with you?
2: I guess for people who want to contact me personally, because it might not be something they want to share on the social media, I can give you my email address, which is um, annette at annettegreenwood.com. Excellent. So
1: thank you so much, Annette, and and for being courageous enough and vulnerable enough to share your past experience for the benefit of the audience. I'm sure it's going to be much appreciated and and, and very helpful to those that are needing to hear your words.
2: It's my pleasure, Lane, and uh, as always, I love sort of spending time with you. We've got so much to to talk about and so much in common, um, and I hope this will really benefit some of your listeners in some way. Okay, so uh,
1: in order to wrap up then, listeners, I'll just end with what I usually say. And that is true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye
0: for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts dash entwined dot com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.